the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. It's 4 o'clock. Welcome to the show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand Hunt for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, church questions, things going on in your life questions, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And remember, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else will be hands-free, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, because it's Tuesday, I don't have anything on the schedule to talk about, so let's get right to our questions while we await your phone calls. Uh, This is from Nacho from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, would you please explain what John means in 1 John 5, verses 16 and 17? Who is John referring to? Is he referring to the brother who is committing a sin or to the one who sees the sin being committed? Could you also elaborate on that passage? Thank you so much. Let me read the passage, and then we'll get into it. This is when we get lots of questions about. uh, I bet I've had dozens of questions literally over our years here on the program. Uh, John writes this, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he should ask God, who will give life to those who commit this kind of sin. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying he should ask regarding that sin. All unrighteousness is sin, yet there is a sin, or there is sin, rather, not a sin. There is sin that does not lead to death. Um, a couple of things, Nacho. This is, is a passage that really there's no satisfactory answer to. Uh, the passage is pretty straightforward. It seems to suggest that there are sins that we can commit um, that are so heinous uh, that they lead to death. Uh, most of the sins that we are guilty of are not sins that are, are in that category. They, 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 they lead to death. Uh, but clearly there is a, a sin that leads to death. Now, the problem is we have no explanation about what that is. Uh, I've known a lot of people who died suddenly. When I say a lot of people, I mean that in a, in a general sense. Uh, who seemed to be well, no problems, and, and they were real believers. Uh, their life got out of hand, and uh, and, and they died unexpectedly. Um, uh, was that a sin unto death? I don't know the answer because we don't have the heart and the mind of God on such a thing. So I'm not sure if this is just a difficult passage uh, simply because only God knows what's in our heart. Um, John is referring to the sinner, not the one who sees the sin, um, and and I, I think the, the admonition for those of us who have friends 
uh, or brothers or sisters that that um, are, are living a lifestyle of sin, it's our responsibility to, to speak to them, to confront them directly about it, to do so in love, to do so certainly after examining your own heart. Um, but, but it's not loving. It's not kind in order to, to let somebody just sin with impunity without saying anything. I know we don't like confrontation, and yet the same thing is true. Uh, we, we, we still have that responsibility. So I hope that helps, Nacho. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Mike, who says he is traveling uh, from uh, wherever he's traveling from on line one. Mike, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I just had a question. I'm just struggling with uh, our role as Christians in our government. And uh, I wanted to get your take on a pastor I've been watching, uh, Calvary Chapel Pastor Rob McCoy out of Godspeed Church. And... Uh, do you know him, and what do you? Could you recommend him? Uh, yeah, I, I do know him. I know him well. Um, I, I also know uh, his um, right hand man, who is a, a dear friend of mine, Pastor Rick Brown. Uh, I've had Pastor Rick at our church probably three times, and I've been at his church a bunch of times speaking. They're really good people. They love Jesus with all of their heart. And and they are really good Bible teachers, especially Pastor Rick. He is a great Bible teacher. Now, having said that, Mike, um, I can't stress enough how wrong I think they are in adjusting or realigning the focus of their church with politics. Uh, Rob McCoy has uh, has run uh, for political office. He's won two. Elections. He was the mayor of the city that he lives in, Thousand Oaks, California. Uh, at one point, he was on the city council prior to that. Uh, and he has been urged by by people over there to run for uh, uh, more noteworthy offices. Again, he's a really good guy. I, I just think he's, he's sort of misunderstood the role of a pastor in the church. Uh, I think, Mike, that they've found themselves looking for heaven on earth. And that's just never going to be the case. And the biggest problem that I have with this is that uh, they were so involved in the election. And there were some other churches, Calvary Chapels uh, as well, uh, who also got really, really involved uh, in the election last November. Uh, And the problem was that when I say last November, I mean the November before November 2020, um, uh, the problem was when, when, when their candidate lost, um, their churches sort of, they lost all of the air. There was nothing to come back to. They were, they were basically without hope, and it was more of woe is me than praise the Lord. So um, uh, this is a difficult question for me because I, I, I vehemently disagree with their focus on politics. That's not our job as pastors, telling people um, how to vote rather than teaching the Word of God and letting the Holy Spirit form uh, the way they vote. Um, um, our job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And, you know, I know these pastors um, um, would be quick to, quick to criticize those who are uh, social justice warriors, um, and yet they're doing the same thing from the other end of the political spectrum. So, Mike, they're good, good men, uh, really good men. They're both good Bible teachers. I think they've just lost their way a little bit. Let me also say, Mike, I'm, I'm going to just trust that you're going to listen for a minute. Let me also say that, that, that I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't be involved in politics. We have a vote. Um, we, we should, I think, encourage the people in our churches to vote. But remember that, that our job as pastors is to teach the Word of God, to glorify Jesus Christ, to give people hope in a world where hope is, is, is uh, diminishing. Um, our job is to get our people to look up instead of looking out. And, you know, if you read your Bible, Mike, Second Corinthians, or I'm sorry, Second Timothy, uh, beginning in chapter three, where Paul warns Timothy about the terrible times in the last days, uh, he describes the kind of time that we're living in, and political activity is not going to change that. Nothing, in fact, is going to change that. So, should we be involved politically? The answer is yes, but we need remember that our kingdom is not of this world. 
there is no hope in a political outcome um, if if their candidate Robs and Ricks had won the the election back in November of 2020. Um, the world would still be a, a hopeless mess. Um, maybe we wouldn't be as irritated as we constantly are irritated. But the truth of the matter is the world would still be a mess because there is no political hope. So, Mike, all I can say to you is keep your eyes on Jesus, stay in the Word, and remember we are ambassadors, but not of the Republican Party. We are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is our responsibility. In fact, we're going to stand before God and give account of our stewardship over this responsibility. It's our responsibility to tell people about Jesus. He is the living hope, but he's he's the only living hope. Mike, good question. Thank you very, very much. Bruce wants to know, Pastor Ron, what exactly is a red-letter Christian? Well, Bruce, probably, and I can I can broad brush this generally with pretty good accuracy, red-letter Christians are not really Christians at all. Um, um, a red-letter Christian is somebody who says, well, I only take the words in red letters seriously because those are the things that Jesus cared about. Those are the, 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 the things that he was passionate about. When in reality... Uh, they don't understand that the whole Bible was written by the Holy Spirit, uh, and all of it is the, the Word of God. So a red-letter Christian basically would disqualify the Apostle Paul because he is um, uh, he focuses on sexuality and, and immorality. Um, um, they say, well, well, Jesus didn't care about homosexual relationships. He didn't say anything. So, Bruce, a red-letter Christian probably is not a Christian at all. Uh, you can't pick and choose what you want. You come to Jesus, you come on his terms, and we do that simply um, because that's the assignment he's given us. Thank you. Appreciate the the question. Let's go to Cindy on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Thank you for taking my call. Mm -hmm. I've, um, I've been thinking about something for several days, and I'm wondering about when... When Jesus died on the cross, now, I know absolute truth is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That is total truth. What I'm wondering about is when Jesus died and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But was there a separation between him being God the Father and God the Son, or did he die still being God the Father? Um, I'll get off the phone, and I hope I made sense on that, yeah, and I'll yes. listen on the page. <laughs> okay, Cindy, thank you very much. I think you did, you misspoke a little bit. It's it's uh, the, the, the separation or the break-in relationship or fellowship between God the Father and God the Son happened when Jesus became sin. Um, he who knew no sin became sin, literally. He took your sin, Cindy, and mine upon himself. And so uh, at that moment when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a couple of interesting things there. One, it's the only time in the Bible that Jesus called his father anything except father or Abba. Um, um, he called my God, my God. Um, and, and he literally was forsaken. Um, God is holy and God uh, could not fellowship with sin in him is light. There's no darkness at all. When Jesus took on my darkness Uh, and yours, Cindy, then that fellowship was broken. I personally think, and this is just my opinion, I personally think that that was the most difficult thing that Jesus wrestled with in the Garden of Gethsemane. It is impossible for us to understand what it would have been like for Jesus to contemplate becoming sin. He was pure, he was holy, he is almighty God, and yet suddenly to bear sin, something that was repulsive to him, to bear sin, I think was the most difficult thing. I think the second most difficult thing was the perfect unity he had with his Father in heaven and that it was going to be disrupted. So I think those are the two things that Jesus really had to wrestle with. But he did become sin, and that's the reason that Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Second thing I want to point out, Cindy, um, is is this. Um, Jesus was also, uh, even in his desperation, as he was dying, literally, in his humanity he was dying, 
um, Jesus was reaching out to his Jewish murderers. Uh, he was quoting a psalm that was universally accepted as messianic. And and they should have been able to recognize when they heard that psalm coming from his lips, they should have recognized that that's the psalm about the Messiah. He claims to be the Messiah. And Jesus was giving them an opportunity to, to repent, to change their mind and to change their hearts. But of course, they refused to do so. So Cindy, I hope that makes sense to you. But, but the father turned his back on the son because the son became sin. Um impossible for us to understand. Thank you very much, Cindy. 340-9585. We would love your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Mary from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor. Will babies go to heaven? If a baby dies and is elected to go to heaven, will the saved parents see the baby in heaven? Uh, If someone, I'm sorry, if someone who is a hundred or one month old dies, uh, will they be a Uh, this is hard to understand. Will they be a prime age person in heaven? Will our families unite? I was telling my husband, I hope to be with him in heaven. I like to think of myself being in my 20s in heaven, although I'm much older in my age. I'm simply trying to wrap my head around it. Mary, these are hard things because we're not given specific questions. I'll deal with your questions. But please understand that that um, uh, heaven is going to be perfect. So at whatever age we're going to be when we get to heaven, it's going to be perfect. You know, Mary, this reminds me of the question that I've been asked by people. Well, how old was Adam? Or how old did Adam appear to be when he was created? Whatever that is, that's a perfect age. And that's the, the, the age that we're going to be in heaven. Um, the same is true of a baby. If a baby uh, dies and goes to be with the Lord, that baby's not going to stay an infant for eternity. That baby is going to going to experience the fullness of of um, whatever eternity is going to be, whatever fullness in in heaven is going to be. Um, with regard to your question, will babies go to heaven? The answer is yes. Uh, Sixty five million babies who have been murdered. Uh, in abortion, by abortion, uh, are in heaven. Uh, They are with Jesus, and we are going to see them there. And there will be a wonderful um, reuniting uh, of families with their their children in heaven. I have a baby brother uh, who lived for 20 days, uh, Ricky Allen Arbaugh, and I I never got to see him. Back then, they didn't let kids go in, and um, um, he was born with encephalitis. uh, And um, it was just... You know, mom went to the hospital, she came home, he didn't. And then there was just no discussion about it. Uh, I'm going to meet my my baby brother when when I get to heaven. So yes, he's going to be there um, in the presence of the Lord. Uh, when you said the question, and this is the only thing that kind of concerned me, you said if a baby dies and is elected to go to heaven, uh, a baby a baby is chosen by God, but but it's not election in the sense of predestination. And Mary, I don't know what your church background is, but uh, um, um, if you mean this from a Reformed perspective or a Calvinist perspective, um, then you, you've sort of got the wrong idea about God. Um, everybody will go to heaven who is born again, and everybody will go to heaven who God can't hold guilty for their sins. Now, babies sin. We all know that. But they can't do anything about it. They're not accountable for their sin. And because of that, they're going to go to be in heaven with Jesus. Um, And then, again, the age... Uh, is uh, whatever the perfect age is, that's what heaven is going to be. Uh, also, our families will unite. Um, um, you will be with your husband uh, in heaven. Uh, I'm going to be with uh, Paula in heaven. And um, even if she wants to ditch me, Mary, God's not going to let her. She's going to hang around with me because we're one flesh in the Lord. We won't be married to each other, but together we'll be married to Jesus. And so all of your concerns about heaven, um, all you have to do is remember just how good God is, how just and fair and holy he is. And then remember that heaven is going to be infinitely better 
than anything that we ever experience here on earth. And because of that, um, all of these questions will be answered and we will be absolutely thrilled. I too, Mary, am much older than being in my 20s. Uh, I like to imagine that in heaven I'm going to be like 6'3 and 170 pounds. I'm going to have this beautiful, deep, rich voice. Uh, Unfortunately, um, I don't have that here, but I'm sure I'm going to have it there. Thank you, Mary. I appreciate the question very, very much. Here is a question from Drew. Um, Your sermon last Sunday, you talked about giving up everything. How can God expect us to do that, Drew? That's what faith is all about. Um, Jesus and his Father gave up everything for us, did they not? They gave up everything for us. How can we do any less for them? And so, Drew, here's the thing you've got to understand, and the only the only way you're ever going to get this is really and truly believing by faith what the Word promises. By putting your faith in the character of God, the nature of God, his track record, Drew, is pretty good. But uh, I think Drew's talking about the sermon, uh, the Sunday before this past one, but the idea here is that we owe him everything. Paul says to the churches in Corinth, we're not our own, we're bought with a price. And I think one of the problems we have in walking out our faith, living out our faith, is that we have our own ideas. And Drew, the only thing I can tell you is Jesus' words. He said, if you find your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life from me, you'll find it. And Drew, I would ask you, do you really believe that? Now, if you haven't trusted God, then the answer is going to be, no, you don't believe it. But here's my experience. Um, Drew, I messed up everything in life. Now, I don't know how much of my history you know, but I was wealthy, very successful in business, had what looked like a perfect family. I was the most miserable human on the on the earth. And the truth is, I messed up all those good things trying to pursue my plan. God had a better plan. And on the day I met him, that was the day I surrendered my heart and everything to him. Now, it's been a process of learning to trust him to be able to do that. But but on that day, my life changed forever. And what I've learned is that I really found my life by losing it. And you said, how does God expect you to do this? It's your responsibility to him. Because he died for you, because he saved you. He rescued you from the destination of hell and brought you into his family and he's promised you an eternity with him. Shouldn't we start trusting him now? It's one of my favorite things to talk about, Drew, because I can see the blank looks in people's faces. I can I can see that now. Uh, I don't know you, I don't know your face, but, but when you ask how can God expect us to do this, it's like, well, God's being unreasonable. Is there anything that God couldn't ask us? If I've got a plan for career, does God not have the right to say, well, I've got a different plan. Follow me. He did that with Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. He did that with with, uh, Matthew, Levi, the tax collector. Follow me. Why wouldn't he do that with you, Drew? And what you've got to learn is that every time you lose yourself, You gain everything. And too many of us, we're holding on to our own plans. We're holding on to the desires of our heart. Some of us are holding on to relationships that are ungodly. Some of us are holding on to bad habits. What has that ever done for you that was constructive? And I think we've got to be honest enough to say, Lord, I'm trying it my way and it hasn't worked. And Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. So, Drew, all I can tell you, I can tell you this from the Word of God, I can tell you this from my own personal experience. The life I live now with virtually no money, now God takes care of me, but but virtually no money compared to the life 
when I was very wealthy. The life I live now, well, let's just say this, I feel like I'm the richest man on the face of the earth. And all because he asked me to lose my life. And when I lost it for him, wow, did I walk right into the middle of a wonderful plan. I have a marriage that I never dreamed possible, Drew. A marriage I did everything I could to mess up. I've got kids that I love, grown grown kids. My relationship with them was a mess. Now they're really good friends. God surrounded me with a church family. People that truly love me. People that I'm deeply invested in. I never could have done any of that on my own. I wake up every day to live a life with meaning and purpose. Rich and satisfying life. So Drew, all I can tell you is lose your life for Jesus and you'll find what real life is all about. Thank you, Drew. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. we got Kelly and Nicholas holding over on the other side of the break. We will get to you right at the top. Thanks for holding. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program 340-9585 let's go to kelly on line one kelly thank you for your patience you're on the air Hi, Pastor Ron. So this is me and my son, and he's a little nervous, but he has a question for you. I want to let him go, ask the question, and then we'll listen to you on the radio. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. Matthew 12, 31 says, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. What does that mean? Okay, thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Herb. Matthew. You were quoting Matthew. Thank you for for your patience in holding. Uh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the only unforgivable sin, and this is a sin that that the devil says to almost every Christian I've ever known. You committed it. You blew it. But blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to reject the work of the Holy Spirit in your life unto death. Now let me explain. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, when he comes, he will come to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. That's his job. He convicts us of sin, that we're sinners, of righteousness, that there is a better way, that we can walk in the way of righteousness, and of judgment, judgment if we don't. Now, if in fact, when we go through this life and we reject that work, and, and we never uh, uh, give our life to Jesus. We never ask for forgiveness of sins. We never go through the born-again experience. If we die in that condition, then we are hopelessly and irrevocably lost. So that's what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. It's not a particular sin. It's not breaking a promise to God. It's not swearing uh, uh, or using God's name in vain. It's simply the ongoing rejection of Jesus Christ unto death, and then it's too late where there's no remedy for your sin. So that's all it is. And uh, in 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 um, um, you know I, I've I've been privileged to be at deathbeds uh, where people have converted and given their life to Jesus Christ, uh, and it's wonderful. But I've also been at those deathbeds where people got angrier and angrier and vile. I don't want to hear about Jesus. And they would curse and and then they died. Well, they've committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that's a sin that can't be forgiven because we have to make the decision about who we believe and whom we're going to trust in while we're still alive. So as long as you're alive, you haven't committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. As long as you have breath, there's still an opportunity. But if we die rejecting Jesus Christ, there is no second chance. There's no 
arbitration, you are you are committed to uh, um, uh, an eternity separated from God. Thank you, Kelly and Nicholas. I am appreciative. I'm grateful. Here is a question from Anonymous. Um, Pastor, can I have your perspective on church hopping? Yeah, it's bad. It's unhealthy. And um, um, there's no reason for it. Um, most of the time when people tell me they're church hopping, uh, I I always suspect anonymous that there's a problem with wanting to, to be under authority, uh, wanting to be accountable. You know, it's easy to, to keep changing churches or keep trying new churches because nobody expects anything of you. You don't have to give. You don't have to, to be accountable for the, the, the way you live your life. Um, nobody's going to ask you to do anything. And and honestly, a lot of spiritually lazy people just keep church hopping uh, so they don't really have to ever get involved. A lot of times, uh, people have had uh, problems in churches. And the 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 problems uh, with other people have sort of put them in protective mode uh, and they don't want to open their hearts uh, they don't want to expose themselves to other people they just kind of come and they they go home and they never really get involved and anonymous there's just nothing more unhealthy for your walk in the world than that we have to learn to submit to one another we have to learn to love one another we need to open our hearts because that's what Jesus did for us. And honestly, um, people that church hop, uh, I would also add church shop. Um, people that do that never really submit themselves by faith to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So it's very unhealthy. It's impossible to have a fruitful walk. Um, and you need, to, you need to be committed to serving a church. It's that simple. Hope that helps, Anonymous. Thank you very, very much. Jeremiah has a two-word question. Parenting tips, question mark. Um, Jeremiah, I I can give you parenting tips. By the way, just in case you're interested, um, the the most popular, by far the most popular series of teaching I've ever done. Now, I don't do series. Typically, I just teach you the word. Uh, But one time in a break between books, the Lord led me to do a a parenting series. And we've got it prominently on our website. And the amount of of, um, of fruit that that has produced and the the action we get on that has been phenomenal, Jeremiah. So go to calvaryessay.com. And I think there's a a prompter that says, Pastor Ron's Parenting Series. Um, if I remember right, it was six or seven studies, and um, I think it's really, really valuable. The most important tip I can give you, Jeremiah, is that you need to be in love with Jesus. Your kids need to see that their mom and their dad uh, is absolutely in love with Jesus. Your Jesus has to be somebody worth knowing. And kids are really tuned into that. If mom and dad are down all the time, if they're in a bad mood all the time, or if they're angry all the time, who's going to want your Jesus? So um, you've got to make sure your walk with Jesus is rich and vibrant. Jesus called it abundant. That's the relationship that your children need to be able to see. Um, The second tip is consistency. And, And I'll add consistent love. Um, your your kids need to know they're loved. They need to know even when you're disciplining them that it's born from love. And there has to be consistency applied in the discipline, but there has to be consistency applied in your daily lives. Again, I'm going to go back to your example. If you're uh, hot one day and cold the next day, um, they're not going to see a healthy walk with the Lord. Uh, third tip, uh, Jeremiah, I'm going to... Uh, speak just to you as the the father and the husband, Uh, your children need to see that you adore their mother. They need to see a relationship between their mother and their father that is rich and full and loving and playful. It's fun. You know, Paul is always saying, being a Christian is fun. And your children need to see mom and dad are having fun serving Jesus. You need a man of the word, not just in it, but doing it and sharing it with them. 
They, they've got to see that everything that you do in your home has Jesus, glorifying Jesus as its goal. So just be kind. The fruit of the Spirit needs to, to, to characterize your life. And, and I know, Jeremiah, when I say this, people think I'm putting a lot of pressure on you. I'm really not. But, but, but please hear this. When you are not demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit coming from your life, why would anybody want your Jesus? So you've got to be his personal representative in your home. And that means you can't have a bad day. You can't lose your temper and go off. You can't use foul language because something happened. If you have a bad day, your kids are going to be there. The enemy is going to make sure they're there to watch it. And so that consistency that I spoke of earlier is really important, but it's consistent love, consistent joy, consistent patience, consistent kindness. Those are the fruits of the Spirit, and the list goes on. And they've got to see consistent self-control. Believe me, our children can sniff it out if we're not consistent in our walk with Jesus. Thank you for that. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question anonymously. Um, Don't you think Christians who oppose gay marriage are being hypocrites when Christians get divorced so often? Why not mind your own business? Um, Anonymous, we, we don't mind our own business because we want people actually to be in heaven. We really do. And they're not going to go to heaven if, in fact, they live a lifestyle where um, they're told if people live like this won't inherit the kingdom of God. So I think it's important that we don't mind our own business. We tell people about Jesus and the fact that we're not perfect, that we make mistakes, doesn't minimize our responsibility to tell people about the one who was perfect. Now, I agree with you that when we who are believers get divorced, we take a a low view of marriage or we respond more to how we feel instead of what we know is right, then you're right, we're being hypocrites. But God can deal with that. But even if we weren't hypocrites, it's our responsibility to tell people that if they're living a lifestyle that is condemned in Scripture, that they themselves will be condemned. So, yeah, I guess we're hypocrites, but being a hypocrite doesn't keep us from sharing Jesus. And it is a tragedy, Anonymous, that so many Christians end up divorced when, in fact, they promise to God that they say they love that they wouldn't. But even if they do, it's still important to communicate. Okay, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have been divorced. I should have listened to God. But you need to get your life right with God. God wants to forgive sins. God wants to forgive sins. All we've got to do is know that we need to be forgiven. So I hope that answers your question. Here is a question from Jonathan from our mobile app. Hi, Pastor Ram, what do you think about critical race theory? Is this ideally ideology considered biblical? No, Jonathan, it is the most unbiblical Um, um, ideology that you can possibly imagine. And I want to be really clear about this. Um, The Bible simply doesn't recognize race. Now, we certainly recognize it as fact. Um, Simon of Cyrene, uh, he was a black man. Um, We we know that. The Ethiopian eunuch was a black man. Um, But the only concern from heaven's perspective is whether he or they are saved men. And we live in a time, Jonathan, where the divide between black and white, um, 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 white and brown, white and and, and Asian, is deeper than at any time in my life. Now, I'm pretty old, and I've lived through um, cities being burned literally to the ground in in race riots, and uh, I've lived through the Black Panthers and and uh, uh, the, the 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 horrible things that we lived through during the sixties. Uh, I've lived through those things, and yet there's more discussion about race now, and it's not a positive discussion. Um, 
to 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 assume that being white disqualifies you uh, from from being fair. Um, to 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 believe that 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 racism is systemic, and so we then ought to make allowances for people of certain races because they don't have a fair chance, is is just the opposite of what the Bible teaches. So um, the fact that just because we're white, we're called inherently prejudiced um, is insulting. Uh, I, I, I realize nobody cares about a white man being insulted, but the idea is that, that critical race theory is completely in contradistinction to um, biblical ideology. So, Jonathan, I hope that helps. The only, the only race that God responds to is saved and unsaved, and our job is to be his representatives. I keep saying that on this program because I want us to get it. Any person, no matter their national or racial background, who has prejudice in his or her heart toward another people or group of people, is in sin, serious sin, and separated from fellowship with God. That's all we need to know. So I hope that makes sense to you. 340-9585, Valerie says, I get depressed at Christmas because of how Jesus is pretty much neglected. Do you have any advice for me? Yeah, Valerie, I, I do. I, you know, people get depressed at Christmas for a lot of reasons. Uh, I think what we have to do as Christians is focus on that which we have to be grateful for. Um, I get the tenor of your question. Um, you know, Christmas can be so commercial or Christmas becomes a series of office parties, drunken office parties in some cases. A lot of times there's pressure to go out and buy somebody um, expensive gifts that we really can't afford. Uh, and Jesus sort of gets lost in Christmas. And that is pretty depressing. But here's what you do, Valerie. You don't let Jesus get lost at Christmas in your heart, in the way you live your life. Don't worry about the sins of other people. They're neglecting Jesus. Just be busy telling people about Jesus, and the Spirit of God will come upon you and work through you, and you'll find the joy of the Lord that, that, that we all should have every day. I guess what I'm saying is we can't be so easily influenced by what other people say or do. Valerie, I am, I'm, admittedly, I'm not a, I'm not a holiday person. Um, um, obviously, we celebrate Christmas and Easter here, um, and, and I love telling the stories as a pastor. It's one of my favorite times of year. But, however, um, we came to church on Sunday. I had a question about this on the show yesterday. Um, um, we came to church Sunday, um, and worship started. And it was wonderful. And then the last song that we did in the worship set was O Holy Night. And, and that's always, for me, sort of a, a mental kickstart. Um, that's when I know, okay, it's officially Christmas, and I can focus then on the gift that Jesus gave us by becoming a baby for us. He became a baby for us. And then he grew up not to have a life of his own, but he grew up so that we could have a life of our own. And I just think we've got to be impervious to the kinds of mood swings that typically happen this year. And we certainly don't want to be so focused on people who don't know Jesus, having any expectations of them. And, and Christmas is um, a time for fun. It's a time for family. But most importantly, Valerie, it's time for Jesus. It's time for Jesus. You hang out with Jesus, and I promise you, you will not be depressed. It's impossible to remain depressed in the presence of the Lord. Thank you, Valerie. I appreciate the question. Let's go to Bilverdi now and talk with Greg on line one. Greg, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Petron. Hey, uh, listen, I got a question. I'd, I'd like you to keep me on if you can, just in case I okay. just need to you know, uh, clarify something. But I've had this discussion with uh, you know some of my, Christ, my Christian born buddies over uh, you know the, the years. Some agree with me some disagree i'm of the opinion what i get through scripture is that god knows everything 
He knows when we're mm-hmm. going to screw up before we screw up. He knows, you know, beginning from the end. He knows, and um, you know, even though he may bring two people together in, say, in a marriage, he knows if one of the two are going to quit and you know dissolve the marriage and move on. So, but they bring about this well, it's free will. I said, well, yeah, but I truly believe that he knows we're going to screw up. He knows we're going to do what we're going to do before we do it. So what is your, your take on that? Yeah, Greg, uh, um, I'll disagree. Certainly God knows everything. Um, but, but God doesn't cause everything. And I think that's where the discussion between free will and God's sovereignty comes into fact. Now, God, the fact that God knows everything can be really comforting. If I mess up and I think, oh, my life is a mess, I can never get back, I can say, wait a minute, God's not surprised by what I did. What I did doesn't change the nature of God. So I can come to God and repent and be cleansed. First John 1 John 1.9 promises me that I can do that. On the other hand, God doesn't keep us from messing it up. Um, I, I, I've been doing some pre-marriage counseling with this wonderful couple, Alexander and Holly. They just got married this past weekend. Uh, and God knows exactly what's going to happen in their marriage. Uh, but, but if they were to mess it up, it's not God's fault. So it's not causative. God's sovereignty is not causative. But God simply knows it. He, he knows the, begin, the, the end from the beginning. And, and uh, we, we need to understand that. But But... He doesn't make us do things. He doesn't stop us from doing good things or bad things. Uh, he, he knows everything. He knows the decisions we're going to make tonight. He knows the decision that we're going to make uh, five years from now. And what God wants us to do is to trust him from the beginning to the end. In this case, uh, the example I use was marriage. And if somebody gets a divorce, it's not like, well, God knew this could happen, so it's okay. It's not okay. It breaks the heart of God. And Jesus himself dealt with that uh, in in his earthly ministry over and over with people coming up asking about marriage and divorce and those kind of things. So uh, it, none of that which which God knows does he cause. And yet still, you want to talk about God's sovereign power? God still works all things together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Even when we are um, literally hell-bent on messing it up. Greg, does that make sense? Yeah, and I'm, I totally agree with you. I, I know, okay. I completely realize God doesn't cause someone to make a certain decision or do a certain thing, but he, he knows it. And, and, and I get that from where it says, um, I think it's in Genesis, uh, that from the foundation of the earth, he had his plan of salvation. He knew Adam and Eve were going to screw up before they screwed up. He already had the plan of salvation already laid out. Yeah. You know, Greg, I crack up because I think about the question that God asked Adam. Adam, Adam, where art thou, Adam? And, and uh, you know, God, God knew exactly where he was, but, but God has a way of bringing it to service. And when we make a bad decision, that's when the Holy Spirit of God begins twisting and turning things in, 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 in doing everything except override overruling our free will he does everything he can to make it difficult for us to get farther and farther from him and he keeps reaching out all day long he said over and over in the old testament all day long i i hold my arms out to a stubborn and obstinate stiff-necked people and he'll do the same thing for us and uh, i can give you a good example from my own life when i finally got saved greg uh, i was the most tired man in the world because running from jesus i found was pointless and uh, so, so God's there. He'll pick you up. He'll give you many, many second chances. Uh, but, but he doesn't cause anything. We've got to accept responsibility for our own messes. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate the question. Good one. We are now inside three minutes, about two and a half minutes left for the program. Let me see what I've got a question. Here's what I can do from Anna. She says, do you believe we have soulmates? Anna, um, not in the sense that... that, that we read about soulmates. You know, there's one person somewhere on earth that God has for you. And when you see him or when you see her, you'll know it. Um, um, we can fall in love with lots of different people. I fell in love with the prettiest girl in California. 
all those many, many years ago. And I'm crazy in love with her. And yeah, because we're committed to Jesus Christ, she's my soulmate. Uh, but still, like I was telling Greg, we can blow that. We just don't want to. So um, don't wait for one person. Don't make a relationship more difficult or more mystical than it needs to be. If you are falling in love with somebody and that person loves Jesus and you are physically and emotionally and spiritually attracted to them and you're both committed to serving Jesus, I want to repeat that, um, then that's okay. Go for it. But but I, I know people that agonize on, on over this. You know, well, how do I know that's my soulmate? It might be somebody else. thing is, make the person that you're falling in love with your soulmate by loving Jesus with all of your heart, with all of your strength, and with all of your soul. Thank you, Anna. I appreciate it very, very much. Well, we are at the end of our show today. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate the questions and the calls. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. Uh, I'm going to be back tomorrow doing something a little different tomorrow on Wednesday. We finished a book, uh, Daniel, last Wednesday, and I don't want to start a new one in December. So I'm going to be teaching uh, a series of psalms uh, in the next few weeks until I decide where we're going. Um, Tomorrow I'm going to be teaching on the 23rd psalm. I hope it's a blessing. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. This is The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.